0: Hello, Simon Watt here, and before we get the podcast started, I'm going to tell you about some awesome live events we've got coming up. We'll be at the Cambridge Science Festival on Thursday the 16th of March at the Welcome Genome Campus. We've got Samantha Baines, an awesome comedian, and then some top geneticists for that one. On Wednesday the 22nd of March, we're running a comedy night, Stand Up Human. We're getting some of our favourite guests from the past, some top-notch comedians, and we'll be at the Book Club in East London. We'll be at the Science Museum London Lates for a Royal Society special on the 29th of March with the Chases Paul Sinna and Fellows from the Royal Society. For more information, go to our website, Facebook and Twitter and you can support our podcast at patreon.com forward slash level up human. And now the show. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the homo sapien. Hello and welcome to Level Up Human, the show that looks at the human race and tries to figure out how to make it better. We'll be taking suggestions from our panel, from our audience, and from the natural world to work out exactly what the next stage in human evolution should be. We're putting together a to-do list for human evolution. We'll try and do anything to fix the many faults that our frail forms have, including gaffer tape if it comes to it. I'm your host, Simon Watts, and today I'm joined by three people who put the sapien into homo sapiens in the form of our guests. Judging the ideas to see if they're worth incorporating into the future edition of our species is Ben Vanderveld. When you were at school, Ben, Ben, I should point out, is a stand-up comedian, an actor, an improviser, and a presenter. Uh, do you really like Vanderveld's forces?
1: Did there's there's Vanderveld's... I knew there was a Vandegraaff generator, but I didn't realise that there were Vanderveld's forces. Oh, you're going mm. chemistry mm. man. Oh. Oh, mate, I I always thought that there should be like a Vanderveld syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can prove that before the. Yeah. What Uh, what are its forces?
0: uh, Come on, scientists.
2: They are very important. They're some of the most important things in uh, chemistry and life. Don't give them a big head. head, (laughs) (laughs) They're They're
0: quite cool. So he's going to judge the ideas. What kind of thing are you actually hoping to hear from our panel?
1: Uh, Something positive and optimistic. I think, and something, something that I hope I could see my grandchildren achieve. Cool.
0: Okay, so he's going to judge your ideas, but pitching eyes to him. We have two wonderful scientists and experts. On my immediate right, we're joined by Catherine Green. <laughs> Catherine's come all the way from the University of Oxford Wellcome Trust Centre for Genetics. Uh, You've got an interest in particular to do with how UV light interacts with our DNA. Um, Why aren't you doing your research somewhere nice rather than here?
4: (laughs) Well that's the problem. UV only does bad things to your DNA so really you should do all your research in a dark cave somewhere.
0: That's kind of coincidental actually.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much like here. We'll be fine.
0: If anyone's seen some of the research labs that scientists fit themselves through, that's a proper showing of the subject. yeah, you, and also you're a, you're a baker and a dance music enthusiast. Yeah.
4: Is that right? Well, is baking, that is, baking is science, isn't it? Microbiology. I'm yeah, interested yeah. in Saccharomyces cerevisiae and occasional lactobacillus. <laughs> sourdough bread being my favourite way to spend the weekend. There,
0: if you want to, if <laughs> want to make sourdough bread sound even posher, that's the best way to do it. And immediately to her right, we're also joined by Stinner Haldorson. Did I say that name right? Because you've come all the way from Iceland for us.
2: Yeah, well, I live in Oxford as well. I'm actually in the same building as Catherine, but yeah, I am Icelandic.
0: And you're you're studying structural biology, and specifically how dangerous viruses interact with the human body. Have you got a favourite virus?
2: Ooh, good question. Um, My favourite virus is the Rift Valley Fever Virus, just because of the dramatic name, I think.
0: What does it do to you?
2: Um, It causes a hemorrhagic fever, so you start to bleed to death basically after a certain while. But it's not so dangerous to humans, it's more dangerous to animals, like cattle and sheep, and even camels, which is actually my favorite animal.
0: I'm really shocked at the phrase, bleed to death, but the biggest laugh of anything (laughs) we've ever so far. You're dark, Oxford, that's really quite cool. And of course, as well as these uh, experts, giving us ideas is also the wonderful audience here at the Amy Theatre, as part of Oxfordshire Science Festival. Give yourselves a big round of applause. (laughs) So before we leap into the realms of what science might be in the future, we're going to have a little look at what science is doing right now. So uh, why don't we start with you, Steiner? What science story has caught your eye recently?
2: Well, there was a, a recent uh, paper that came out um, which was reported on in uh, The New Scientist, which I read regularly. And uh, it was basically a bunch of, uh, kind of computer scientists and engineers who decided to do bioengineering. And they, uh, there was this guy from MIT, and they figured out a way to create cells that actually lock their activities. So, effectively, they created blocking cells. You know, hashtag blast, hashtag YOLO, kind of thing.
0: <laughs> Why is that a good thing? Why on earth do we want more more bloggers?
2: Well, so essentially, if you look at your in the body, like if you take a cell from the blood, you have no idea where it's been, what it's been up to. Don't really know what actually has happened in its life, but by using this CRISPR technology, which is kind of like this new poster boy for kind of biotechnology and gene editing, they actually managed to create this kind of analog circuit, if you will, that actually tells you exactly what the cell has been up to.
1: So you're basically stalking your cells? <laughs> Absolutely. You've got like a private detective following the cell around the body? I feel
2: more it's like, you know, Twitter for cells. So I think that's more accurate way of describing it, you know. Would you read one of these blogs?
1: I mean, I might. Wouldn't surely it would just be digital? Wouldn't it just be loads of ones and zeros, which would get a bit boring after a while. Yeah,
2: well, maybe.
1: But I think you know, you can you can take
2: these ones and zeros and make them into you know a letter, for say, you know. I think
1: I so it would be like an, a a day in the life of a blood cell. Like woke up, swam around, formed into a scar, fell off.
2: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the basic idea is just you know they create random mutations in the moment, but you know the the kind of. The idea in the future is to be like, oh, today I saw a virus and I killed it. Ah. Um, I got some, I went to the spleen met my friends, YOLO blast, you know, something
0: (laughs) like that. So that's the whole idea is actually to track the cells so we can work out what they're doing.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's going to be really important for kind of developmental biology, for understanding how cancer grows and stuff like that. So I think this is actually this is going to be really important in the future, and you know, even though it has that kind of funny title of blocking, I think it's actually, you know, it's quite important.
0: It's yeah. a good idea. What's caught your eye, Catherine?
4: I'm much more vain than that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm worrying constantly about gray hair, and I also saw a picture of George Clooney, which was the gray hair picture. Apparently, we've now identified one of the main genes that cause us to change the, our hair color as we age. So a genome-wide association study, which is when you look at a large bunch of people, see what traits they have in common, so look at what things are similar in how they are, and then see which genes they have in common and match Mm -hmm. them up. Um, Has identified the the gene that's mostly responsible for our our hair growing grey. And once we know what gene it is, then we can presumably keep it active for longer and maybe stop us from greying. Why do people actually care about grey hair so much? Well, I don't know. I think it is something that we do care about as a society. We certainly are worried about our image. Of course, you wouldn't have to turn off grey hair. You could turn it on in everybody all at the same time, perhaps. So we all go grey bang on our 25th birthday, and then that's it. You're it. You're job done.
0: You've got a sort of mutually assured destruction hair colour. So,
4: uh... It's very fashionable, also, I hear these days, grey hair. So really? Maybe um, we would choose to be grey on Wednesdays. And ginger on Thursday.
1: Well, I was going to say, can you choose to make your hair change whatever colour it wants? Well,
4: obviously the hair itself is dead, but the new hair growing, we're learning a lot more about, so not just the colour of the hair, but the shape of the hair, so how curly it is, because that's due to shape. And also whereabouts on the body it grows. So if you want a monobrow, there are specific genes implicated from this study that tend you to have a monobrow.
2: so could yeah. you create like a gradient in your hair, like go gray, you know, for two months, and then go brown and then go red yeah. or something like that? Well, you
0: could do a second thing. You could fix Alistair Darling. So he just matches. Because <laughs> <laughs> he currently looks just like he's got two caterpillars rolling across his face all the time.
4: Yeah, so you would be able to apply a topical cream that would use some kind of gene editing to change the color of your eyebrows specifically.
1: So I could literally Photoshop your face.
4: Yes, but it's not instantaneous, because hair has to grow, so it would be changing the colour of the hair that is growing. The hair that's already there is the colour it is. That's
1: brilliant. What about you, Ben? What's caught your eye? Um, So what's caught my eye is, uh, it's not that new, but it's a trend that has increased over the past decade. Uh, There's a company in America called Alcor, which uh, are allowing people to freeze their dead body uh, so that it can be then woken up in however many decades or centuries' time and uh, be hopefully be brought back to life. Um, you've got two options. You can pay £200,000 and have your entire body frozen and then they will try and uh, bring it back to life in the future. Or if you're feeling a little bit short of cash, you can pay $80,000 and they will freeze just your head. <laughs> and then in the hope that you'll be able to grow a new body at some point in the future.
0: Are you, are you actually tempted by this, though? No. Is this something
1: you're thinking about? I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of the film Demolition Man, and... Uh, that documentary? That, yes. that documentary <laughs> <me> starring <still laughs> Sliced Alone and uh, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, I think, I think it'd be fun. I think the fun side is, it is with ev- all of these evolutionary advantages we're gonna talk about, at best, at best, I might see the back end of the 21st century. But if you freeze yourself, you might see the year 3000. As long as Busted aren't there, I will be delighted.
0: <laughs> Is that why uh, Sliced Stallone's acting was so dead? Yeah. yeah, was yeah. Just yeah. Frozen. Okay, so that's the kind of stuff that's actually happening right now. But let's take it further and decide what would our audience and our scientists like to see. So you're going to be pitching to Ben, only one idea can go through each episode. What would you like to see in the next stage of human evolution? Why don't we start with you, Catherine?
4: So it's summertime in England so we don't see the sun very much and we've talked a bit about sunshine today and I was at Glastonbury last weekend and we didn't see the sun at all but my um, pitch is to do with sunlight and the fact that actually as a species we're not very good at dealing with sunlight melanoma being a major and increasing cancer incidence for us Um, and the reason for that is that we've actually lost a really important enzyme so most organisms that live on the planet have an enzyme called a photolyase when Sunlight hits your DNA in your skin cells. It causes damage to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have lots of ways of fixing that. But we're lacking one really important one, this enzyme photolyase. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a simple enzyme back into all of us. It's going to be easy to do. It's been done in mice. And that enzyme is then able to find the damage in your DNA that is caused by sunlight and reverse it. In fact, uses sunlight to reverse the damage caused by sunlight. So it's a very clever enzyme. And by just inserting that into all of us from day one, we will dramatically reduce our sunburn and our skin cancer risk. Does, very simple, very easy.
1: Does that mean I no longer have to put on suntan lotion?
4: It doesn't completely abolish your risk of skin cancer, but it reduces it you know, 15-fold in mice or something. So you wouldn't have to worry so much. If you're sunbathing in Australia in the midday sun, you probably would want to steal some factor 50. What? But uh- it, would redu- it would cause a, reduce a lot of human harm.
1: Well, especially considering since uh, temperature's going to get even hotter. It's going to
4: get hotter. And, the, and virtually every... The only animals that don't have it, so fungi have it, plants have it, marsupials have it, only placental mammals have lost it. OK,
0: well, why? It's not down the back of a sofa or something. Yeah. What was it?
4: You know, <laughs> you know,
0: why? Because well, whatever, this is evolution, isn't it? Yes. So it must have disappeared for a reason, you well, think.
4: It, probably not for a reason. Things are lost to evolution, not because they're actively lost normally, but because they fail to be maintained. And at some point, placental mammals were, in fact, small, furry, nocturnal hamsters.
3: Oh, Not so still long ago, are. for some <laughs> of us.
4: So when you were a small, furry, nocturnal hamster, you were covered in hair and you never saw UV. So the fact that you lost your photolithase activity didn't matter at all. You didn't have any, you didn't gain. you didn't lose a selective advantage. So the problem problem is us have become a hairless
5: mammal. ah, So we're
4: out in the sunshine and we've lost hair for lots of good evolutionary reasons because we can sweat better so we can travel larger distances across Africa. So we've lost our hair but there's no way to get back an enzyme that you've lost.
1: Can I just go like go back on something there? We sweat to enable us to travel further. So that's why really long journeys in the car you end up stinking (laughs) by the end of them.
4: (laughs) I don't know if it, the car was invented no. at, the time, at the time, but the, I guess the same principle. Also. So what is the choice between
0: hairiness and sweatiness, really?
4: You can sweat, you can lose body heat through sweat much better if you're not covered in fur.
0: So, Ben, is that on the short list? We'll come back to these later, but
4: is that good enough to make it to the short list?
1: I mean, speaking as an Englishman who likes to go on holiday and reveal his pasty white body to the entire world, <laughs> I think I quite like the idea of being able to do that uh, without paying the consequences. I, like, I, have, I went on holiday once uh, to Mexico and thought I uh, had managed to fully suntan my entire, suntan lotion my entire body, and the next day I had half sunburned, so I looked like a Harlequin jester. It was, <laughs> so I like the idea of that a lot.
0: Okay then, you've got a tough one to try and beat here,
2: Yeah. What is your pitch? Well, so, I guess I'm a bit of a hippie, say the planet kind of guy, in certain senses, and I've always this thought... This
0: is like, not a dating profile, you know. This is-
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Swipe right,
2: swipe right. You know, yoga, on the beach, you know, that's my kind of profile, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, I've, I've been thinking, you know, what should, you know, what would be the best thing kind of for our entire ecosystem, rather than, you know, our, us eco-ecotistic human beings, and... I thought actually the best thing would maybe if humans just kind of go out of the equation, you know, completely. But maybe that's not such a nice idea. So I thought maybe instead we could just become better citizens on the planet, and you know, one of the one of the biggest factors that contributes to uh, um, the global warming is actually animal agriculture, and animals are basically sources of of protein for human beings, and proteins are something that like. Actually, they're like a source of nitrogen, and nitrogen is a really important atom and molecule for life and for basically like everything on this planet. You know, that's kind of you know like an organism. So I thought, you know, maybe instead of us relying so much on like other animals and other um, you you know plants and like other kind of organisms for our source of nitrogen, what if we could you know harness nitrogen ourselves? Because actually, 78% of the air we breathe in is actually nitrogen but it just turns out it's actually, it's a very kind of chemistry, on chemistry notes, it's kind of a expensive sort of process of actually harnessing the nitrogen. So there are actually, there are only a few bacteria and a few kind of archaea that actually can can rip the nitrogen apart and make it available to uh, to uh, to biology. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be very good first, because then we didn't need, need to like eat all these protein-rich foods, we didn't have to eat animals, we could all be like vegans. And, and the thing is, like, it's actually an energy costly thing. So we still would have to eat like sugars and fat, which is great. We just eat cake all day long, you know, and mm-hmm. then,
1: but just fix nitrogen from the air and. Can I ask an idiot's question? What's a, I think I know what a bacteria is. What's an archaea? So uh, the kingdom of life, if you will, uh,
2: is based on three different branches. So it's, uh, it's multicellular life, like us and plants, for example, and then it's bacteria, and then it's something called archaea. And archaea. They're kind of like bacteria, but... Is that like IKEA, where you sort of, (laughs) like, assemble it yourself? (laughs) Well, actually, uh, you know, uh, I think Archaea, they're pretty amazing, because they, you know, they can do a lot of stuff the bacteria can't really do, and they live in really extreme places, and, you know, they're...
1: Yeah, they can probably self-assemble, like IKEA, I would assume. (laughs) The only animal that comes with its own Allen key. Mm, maybe. Are they, so, what, sorry, sorry. Just, I was just gonna, gonna say like that. So they're the ones you know when you hear about um, organisms living on the side of underwater uh, super vents. Exactly. What it's it's not yeah. super vents, volcanic vents. They exactly. often are. They're
0: not the only ones, but they're a more extreme Yeah, exactly. They,
2: the they live ones. in like very you know they live in like super high salt concentration you know and they live in like, really warm places places with a lot of pressure. Um, so yeah, they're kind of interesting, uh, phenomenal You will like yeah. this?
0: My favourite one. I think it's an archaea, although it's still they still nickname of the bacterium. was called Conan the Bacterium <laughs> because it's it's so so hard they can survive anywhere. It's like the Chuck Norris of the bacteria. World yeah. But yeah, the, oh they're incredible these archaea. Oh, we've got to get moving here. So
1: that's a great idea, Stainer. What do you think, though, Ben? Is that going to be in the shortlist? Oh man, I'm like I'm torn because it's basically with, uh, uh, I've got a way up between.
3: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: Human beings being a bit weak and pathetic and forgetting to put on the biological (laughs) suntan lotion, or, as you say, the Chuck Norris of the animal kingdom. Yeah.
0: Well, you're going to have more pitches whenever coming from the audience. Yeah, so know. these ones can go through. You can reject other people. I oh, mean, uh,
1: I, I hate they to look have... like it's happened before. Well, maybe,
2: maybe I can say just one thing. Imagine you know, all the children in the developing world, all the people <laughs> you know, that don't get enough protein from the diet. They can
1: just breathe the protein in. And they
2: can you know, all
1: be
4: happy. He's
3: a very
1: good healthy. citizen, this man. He's a very good citizen. <laughs> I don't like the RKA sound like they sound pretty hard, and I don't want to cross them, so I'm not <laughs> going to take that off the list. I'm going I'm to consider both of you, your, your suggestions. Ooh, for
0: so, okay, IKEA nitrogen fixing, that is on the list as well. Well, I think, audience, you can still do better than these experts here. So,
1: please, what's your suggestion, sir? Uh, my name is Jace Taylor. I'd like to suggest um, safely and reversibly dislocatable shoulders so that when you're lying in bed spooning your chosen partner um, the arm which is underneath which perpetually gets in the way and just goes dead or slaps them in the face uh, can just be dislocated and stored behind you for the duration of the night
4: I'm wondering quite where you're going to put up or, got, why not take it off completely and
1: hang it on <laughs> I, taking off suits me but I, you know baby steps
0: <laughs> so hold on this is personal experience you obviously so, yeah. <laughs> Is that why you're here alone?
1: <laughs> um, I, I hate to ask. Yeah, no, I slap her in the face too much in the night when I touch.
2: So. <laughs> well, I that... have to say, I can totally relate to that. I have a partner. He's quite large, you know, and when you try to cuddle, it can be a struggle. And I'm usually small spoon, so it's okay for me, you know. <laughs> but when I'm big spoon, that, you know, that that arm, it's it's the most annoying thing yeah. ever. You know, I kind of try to put it behind me. <laughs> or it's kind of in between us, really ruining the romantic moment. So I... Really, really like that
0: one. Yeah. I, actually, I do love the fact that you know, we're having all these uh, scientific techniques to save the world, like stainers, to, to prevent skin cancer, and you want snuggling. I don't <laughs> really, <laughs> I'm really pleased with that. This, this, Oxfordshire, you're lovely. This
1: is perfect. It's a difficult balance, though, because on one side, as Simon said, snuggling, on the other side, would you want to snuggle with somebody who's just got an arm flapping about <laughs> all over the place?
2: Why,
0: why is it? Because it is a thing. with. Uh, I know some friends of mine here are swimmers. Because of the swimming action, that those jo- those muscles become very very loose, and so one of my mates his shoulders popping in and out oh. all the time. Oh. So it does have a disadvantage. that He's going to probably get arthritis and various problems. And there's someone back there who, if we were able to film oh. this, oh, so Syed, who's one of the organisers oh. at the oh. festival, oh good lord. Oh. I don't know if our mics can pick up the sound of revulsion.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like those um, street performers you can see. You can get their whole body through an empty tennis racket. Stop it immediately.
0: Right, Can we please get a microphone to him? uh, Was it Jason? Is that right? Thank you. Can we give Jason a huge round of applause? So could you please explain to people at home what you just did and if it does harm you in any way? Because it harmed us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fine. I'm just hyper-flexible. I've been all my life. So this is, a gene- actually, maybe this is your solution yes. then, Jason. So as a means of getting, but your, your joints are still staying where they are, aren't they? Oh, I'm fine. When I was teenager, when it was much more developed as an ability, it would happen when I get excited that my a uh, shoulder on my knee would dislocate by themselves and then oh. get back into place. But now it doesn't happen anymore because I'm not practicing it much more. But it's just hyper flexibility. Oh, I just also love the fact you said that when I got excited, my legs <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a common problem, but I love
1: it. That's like I, my, I thought that you meant that you're like a Lego man and your shoulders and knees come off and you can put your shoulders and your knees and your knees on your shoulders and <laughs> reassemble.
2: Yeah, with a little bit of practice, you can get there. It takes <laughs> a little bit of, of yoga.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. Give me a huge <laughs> round of applause. So Ben, um, dislocating and reattachable shoulders—is that in? Well, I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying yes to everything, but I entirely sympathise with you, uh, Jason, because I regularly get pins and needles from my arm being in the wrong place. So that's that's not just being considered. That sort of has taken the lead at the moment.
0: Oh. Ooh. Um, you should also see the daggers you just got from your wife in the audience. Where, uh, <laughs> we're her from this. Can we go to this guy over here?
1: My name's John Killick. Um, I would love to have the, the mental arithmetic capacity that I had seventy years ago, um, and I would therefore welcome some brain research that manages to, to find out why I've lost it and. To find, to find ways of giving it to me back. And of course, this is even more important for you younger people who, who are probably going to reach the age of 100.
0: I, I don't know about that, because you know, it's one of the things I feel very smug about, because my math teacher was always saying, well, it's not like you're going to be walking around with a calculator in your pocket every day. And I am. <laughs> I feel really smug about that. Yeah, why is
4: it? Right. I think that's right. You say that the kids will lose it, but they never had it in the first place, unlike you. <laughs> so
1: they have nothing
4: to lose.
0: Well, why do you miss arithmetic so much? Because, like, I, I don't miss Well,
1: so I mean, that's just an example of, of one of the things I was good at 70 years ago, and I'm very much slower now. Okay. So, so something is wrong with probably, probably the chemistry of my brain that did not used to be. So definitely,
0: what we're effectively talking about is a progressive loss of certain skills, yep. shall we call it. Yes. That's a tricky one, because we'd all love to be able to sort of stay at our optimum for forever.
4: I think technology is something that we rely on more and more. We're not going to get around the aspect of aging. We breathe oxygen, oxygen is damaging to us. We're Aging is something that I think is not reversible, it's perhaps delayable, but it's not, it's not removable from biological existence. But more and more we gain the ability to improve ourselves via our technology. And as you say, you have a calculator in your pocket. So we now need to find ways to make the technology as you say, implementable inside of us, so it's part of us, and then we don't need to worry about if it's our brain doing it or if it's our exo-brain doing it. I think we just need an exo-brain I'm going to
0: gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna question your saying that sort of ageing is inevitable because oh. we know of lots of animals out there which don't biologically
1: age. Oh,
4: I don't think we know of any animals out there that don't biologically age, but I can arm myself if you like. Canaries? Yes.
1: Plinarians. Oh,
0: planarians! <laughs> planarians. 20% of their body weight is stem cells. And they, we call them immortal under the knife because they literally, you cut their head in two, they grow two heads. So there are things yeah, so out there which do not biologically...
4: I mean, you are immortal. Your, your sperm will go on to ge- produce a new generation which will well, be thank in- you. immortal. But <laughs> <laughs> none of your individual cells can be immortal. And yes, there are some organisms which are able to maintain themselves through um, large numbers of proliferative cycles.
0: So why can't we do that with a brain?
4: Because... A, yeah, so a brain is, is, a, is made up of, of cells which don't replace themselves effectively.
0: So that's so the bit to fix, yeah. really. So
4: we don't grow more brain cells. The brain cells are a few, and they can make new connections. But we're not able to, and they use a lot of oxygen. And oxy, oxygen is very damaging to the proteins and to the membranes and to the DNA inside your cells. So yes.
1: You're telling me I should stop breathing? Stop breathing,
4: you'll live much <laughs> longer. Well, in the lab, if we grow our cells in low oxygen environments, they grow, they proliferate much better. Breathing is really harmful to (laughs) health. There are
0: bacteria that live at the very, very bottom of the ocean, which are related to bacteria that live at the top of the ocean, um, very, very closely related, but they're the ones at the bottom. They've recently discovered some of them are thousands of years old. And it's not that they're much biochemically different, it's actually just that they have very little oxygen down there, so they're living life at a slower pace. So at the top of the ocean, we've got the James Dean bacteria <laughs> 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 at the very bottom. The yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: So if we could find ways for our brains to use less oxygen, they, it is perfectly likely that our neurons could live longer, perhaps. But the brain is one of the most highly oxygen-requiring organs in the body mm. because it has a high energy requirement for all of its neurotransmitter activity. So it, it's, a, it's always going to be a challenging one, how we can make our brains age but I don't think we're going to
0: stop aging entirely, but uh, I'm wrestling later. I'm wrestling later. No, I'm I'm just trying to be optimistic, but (coughs) do you know what? Uh, You've you've already destroyed his dreams. So, uh, (laughs) thank you very much. Can you give him a big round of applause? (laughs) Is it on the short list after that that fearsome takedown?
1: Well, from what I understand, in order for this to work, I have to asphyxiate myself. And uh, because I'm a big fan of oxygen, that's going to be a no.
0: Again, some politicians uh, have already tried it, believe it or not. But, uh, <laughs> didn't like
3: that's it very dark, actually. I yeah, no, really. that's, uh, oh,
0: we're going to have to cut that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're enjoying the outtakes, actually, I've noticed. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, really good. So I'm afraid that's not on. Okay, no, no improving our brain, because it's just too hard, apparently. <laughs> you
1: know,
0: I, I don't either. Do One day. Is, is,
1: so you know what's oh, happened. an
4: exo brain, have AI brain.
2: Well, there's a lot of really good research which is going on to uh, how you can, you know, keep your brain youthful, and a lot of it's actually that you know parts of your body that kind of do the recycling, that you know, like the like immune cells. They just don't really reach the brain, and if they were allowed to actually reach the brain, then probably we could like scoop up a lot of the old proteins that just kind the of drunk. Yeah, exactly. So maybe there is kind of a you know. Way, but you know, the brain is such an important thing that it just has this really huge barrier. Like, no, you're not allowed in. So, uh,
0: it's one of those things I've, I've often wondered by the way, actually, if audience know things, please pipe up and we'll get a mic to you because you might be able to tell us. I know the brain is one of those parts which of our body we call you know privileged, yeah, so absolutely. it is a barrier. And I've never fully understood from the evolution viewpoint as to why that seems to have come about. It seems to be testicles, brains. Uh, well, there's I a couple think, of other spectacles because, like, and <laughs> <laughs> There's a few parts of our body where our immune system can't visit. And yeah. there's a, they call it blood-tubule barrier, blood-brain barrier.
2: I think a part and, of it is, if, if you have some sort of autoimmune disease that would happen, you know, like uh, in your pancreas, for example, you know, you can get diabetes. Mm-hmm. But what if that happens to the brain? I think that would be completely catastrophic because you would literally just die on the spot, you know.
0: But we've chosen to have... Yes, do you know something about this? Can you please tell us your name and, and why you're better than us? Because you are, apparently.
4: <laughs> I'm not better than anyone, but I, I am a researcher uh, working on the eye, which is also immune-privileged. Yes, that's absolutely. Um, so the reason why such organs are immune-privileged is because when the immune system mounts an attack against <coughs> infection, um, it can cause scarring, which is permanent damage. So parts of the body, such as the eye, the brain, um, the Testes, the ovaries. If if those cells are damaged, that damage is permanent because that scarring will then stop those that part of the body functioning. So that's why you have to have immune privilege in those areas. So, but so it's not that there isn't an immune system; it's that it's geared up to work completely differently and a very dampened down response.
0: That's remarkable because you know that that has been something I've always wondered because we don't often ask why in terms of evolution stuff because. There's all these alternatives. Thank you so, so much. (laughs) One final thing to do because we've had suggestions from our wonderful audience here at Oxford. This is a round we'd like to call Splice of Life. Now, uh, Ben, can you please describe this picture, this creature?
1: Uh, So what we have uh, up on the screen is an animal with the body of a beaver with the flippers of a duck and the the bill also of a duck. Um, so it's a duck-billed platypus.
0: Well done. That's uh, a yeah. good, good, good deduction. I think that <laughs> I chose this because I knew you were coming. This is like your favorite animal in the entire world, isn't it? Just, uh,
2: well, isn't I think it's one of the coolest animals in the world just because it is the only animal that can make its own ice cream and... Um, uh, Custom. Kind of- on yeah, <laughs> Yeah, because it, bo- it both lactates and uh, it lays eggs.
0: So, okay, uh, at this point I normally suggest the superpowers of the animal kingdom. That was not the superpower I was going to go for, but that's even better. Because I mean it's, it's, it's a monitoring, you're right, it lays yeah. eggs.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like that also that one of the few
0: eggs venomous eggs. mammals.
2: I think that's yep. so cool, actually, it, like, it, it does everything, it's such a badass. Do you, you know? think
4: anybody's ever had a platypus creme brulee?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. Again, Heston.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Audience, uh, we're going to have to ask you here, actually. By whipping, who would try a platypus creme brulee? Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! By erring, who thinks it's the most disgusting, revolting idea imaginable? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's kind of split 50-50. But Ben, you get to decide.
1: What, whether we have platypus (laughs) creme Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, think we should do I don't mean Russian, no. We should do like a Russian roulette serving where you have five of them are fine and then the sixth one has been poisoned by its venom. <laughs> <laughs> the,
0: the nicest dessert I've ever had in my life, I was in Peru. And in, um, in Peru, like for altitude sickness, one of the things that they give you often is coca, which is what cocaine is eventually refined from. But it's, it's the best altitude sickness cure I've ever come across. And they had a coca creme brulee. So it had all the beautiful, you know, the cracked sugar hit and the lovely silky smoothness and then the faint hint of cocaine. It was <laughs>
1: <coughs> <coughs> And it's clearly so good because you're still talking oh, about yeah. it about years yeah. and years later. I
0: do <laughs> remember it as the best dessert I'd ever had. <laughs> and a platypus one would be a pale comparison. So I think
4: they are relatively endangered. We did quite a lot of work in the genome centre with, with sequencing the platypus genome. And you have to get quite a lot of certification to get um, even small bits of... We take the tissue from the webbed feet. You can take a bit of tissue in order to sequence its genome, but you have to get certificates and permits. I don't think we're allowed to take platypus eggs from the wild to, <laughs> to brulee, and I'm not sure it, I'm Not sure it's gonna let you milk it either. Yeah,
0: because milk, milking them is very, very hard, actually, because they don't have nipples <coughs> in the same way we have. Because oh, nipples have effectively evolved from the sweat patches. Like, so milk is actually nutritious sweat, if we look at it from its evolutionary oh. viewpoint,
1: oh.
0: Um, which might pit you off having milk ever again, never mind from a platypus. I think leg- legality might have ruled that one out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How do, what do they have instead of nipples, then, if you want to milk a platypus? It's little patches that so travels down yeah, their hairs. Yeah, they have a like groove that kind
2: of, they don't really look like very much, but then you kind of, you know, if a young pokes it, then they all of a sudden it starts, like, gushing Shaking. a little bit of out. Yeah. Platypus yeah, kind of Playboy is very different. <laughs> <laughs> OK,
0: so uh, we've got narrowed down to three. That was, was on your shortlist. We have, you have to pick here, though, first, Ben. OK. Do you want Catherine's solar-powered solar repair? Do you want Stainer's B&Q nitrogen fixing, or do you want Jason's Lego limbs, effectively, being able to dislocate and stick in your shoulders?
1: Well, like I said, I did say at the start I wanted to be optimistic in something for my grandkids, but here's the thing, there's a chance that human beings might uh, mess up the future, so even though uh, being able to have self-preparing skin could be useful, I think that we'll do, our, do for ourselves uh, in a different way. And even though making good food for us, I think there's still gonna be a terrifying apocalyptic and Armageddon. So what we're gonna need to do if the end of the world is coming is to be able to more snuggle. Cuddles. Yeah. Yeah. More cuddles. Yeah. C- cuddle <laughs> more efficiently. So I'm gonna go for Jason's dislocating shoulder. Here, here. Jason, how do you
0: feel that the responsibility of all mankind's improvement has been put onto your shoulders?
1: Fine, until you started that
0: sentence. <laughs> I'm going to go home and snuggle to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate and... Yeah, I love that. Oh, you're going to actually tell her that while you're giving her a big cut,
1: Yeah, so. she's going to be overwhelmed. Yeah.
0: Oh, wonderful. Thank you so, so much. Pleasure. So we're going to take that idea and knit bomb it into the middle of life's rich tapestry. Um, before we go, I'd love you to give a huge round of applause and thank you to our guests. We've had Ben Vandervelde, we've had Catherine Green, and we've had Stainer. Halderson. We've also had the wonderful audience here at the Ami Theatre at Oxfordshire Science Festival. I've been your host, Simon Watt. This has been Level Up Human. Thank you and good night. That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheelie, and supported by the Wellcome Trust. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com.